0: Say that after that. Enjoy that. We are continuing our sermon series today on women in, in scripture. We call it Eight Faces. We're following eight um, women um, throughout, la- starting last week, we have uh, met the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, and then throughout Vacation Bible School, we uh, encountered three more women. We mentioned as we follow these women, these women are necessarily. Um, role models for us, Uh, but it's all right, they are, but the idea of these women, like every character in the Bible, they're bringing us face-to-face, encountering uh, Jesus Christ, encountering God. And so today we turn to the book of Judges, and we encounter a woman named Deborah, we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 14, if I had to follow along, your pew Bible you may, it's on page two hundred. 220 in the Old Testament section. Now, Judges, if you're not familiar with the book of Judges, it's um, literally in between, in between uh, Joshua and Ruth. The time of the, the book of Judges took place um, was uh, as after Moses and Joshua was leading the um, Israelites. So remember, jo- uh, Moses led Israelites out of Egypt, um, and they wandered around, then Joshua took it, and they moved them into the promised land. So they've The promised land is there, it's been established, and now you have judges. The people are living in this promised land. And in all accounts, it's a radical nation. Um, This is sometime between 1200 to uh, 1020 BC. It's before the uh, monarchy of Israel. So there are no kings. The idea through judges, all judges, they keep repeating the idea is that we don't need a king, God is our king. As long as we do what is right in the eyes of God, we will not need a king. But here comes a problem. This circular cycle over and over and over again just keeps repeating itself because they don't, go, they don't go out of favor of God. But yet they move away from God, still in favor of God, but they, they move away from God. Things get bad, and then God brings it back, and the cycle keeps happening over and over and over again. Again, and as this cycle happens, there's a couple of things you need to note when it comes to Judges. One, the language of Judges. Like you may hear language like, God sold them to this city here. God's not necessarily selling them for money. This is the language that the people understood at that time. God is allowing them to be used. Um, not allowing them to be used, but allowing them to go into that city. where Move into that city. And then it says God delivers them using battle language. That's the language of the time during that time. And today we will um, encounter Judges. Again, we encounter the woman named Deborah in Judges. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. I invite you now to listen to God's word. The Israelites, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. After um, Ehud died, so the Lord sold them into the hand of the king Jabin in Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. The commander of his army was Caesarea, who lived in Gom. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron and had oppressed the Israelites cruelly for 20 years. At that time, Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Labadoth, was judging Israel. She used it to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel, in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came up to her for judgment. She sent out and summoned Barak, son of Ebenom, um, from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Position yourself on Mount Tabor, uh, taking 10,000 from the tribe of Nephthali and the tribe of Zebulon. I will draw out Caesarea, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the um, Wadi Kishan, with uh, his chariots and his troops, and I will give him unto your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead you to glory. For the Lord will sell Caesarea into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah got up and went with Barak to Gadesh. Now Barak summoned Zebulon and Naphtali to Gadesh. And 10,000 warriors went up behind him, and Deborah went up with him. Now, Herber uh, the Kenite uh, had separated from the other Kenites, and, and that is the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had accompanied as far away as Elon Bezananim, which is near Kadesh. When Caesarea had told that Barak, the son of Ebanon, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Caesarea called out to his chariots 900 chariots of iron and all the troops who were with him from Heresheth um, Hagom to the Awadi Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day on which the Lord has given to Caesarea into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor, with 10,000 warriors following him. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks. Thanks be to God. Do not live in a smaller world than the world God has given you. And that was advice given to me over a decade ago by a friend and mentor. Do not live in a smaller world than the world that God has given you. What does that mean for us as Christians in the year 2023? More specifically, what does that mean for you and me here in Lylington, North Carolina, on this hot, low August Sunday? Halfway in between the hallelujah promises of Easter and the silent night hopes of Christmas. What does that mean within the humdrum of our ordinary day-to-day life? Scrolling from one reel to the next, staring at our office computer, watching the same news cycle repeat itself over and over again. What does it mean for those children that summer fatigue has set fully in? What do those promises and hopes mean for that woman with cardboard for a blanket, that young man with tracks on his arms, that firefighter fighting fires in Canada, that soldier lacing up his boots in Ukraine, or that mother holding her baby a little bit tighter in West Africa, and that girl who is told that she is no longer allowed to go to school in Afghanistan? What do these promises and hopes mean Within the reality of our raw, brutal, political discourse, it just keeps repeating itself over and over and over and over again. This is the question that the book of Judges asks. Judges tells the story of the Israelite people living in between the times frame, as we mentioned, Moses and Joshua, and the monarchy of Israel. They are a new nation. For all accounts, they are a radical nation. A radical because they're a nation that is open and free society, where men and women work together, perhaps a lot on small family unit farms. This new territory has been established next door to the more powerful, established hierarchical, organized, Canaanite city-states. And all was going well, until it wasn't. Israel began living into the large capacity that God had envisioned. But slowly, slowly they began moving away from what God had envisioned toward the status quo of all the cities around them. They began to serve other gods. began to have other idols. All these cities around them represented the death that God, to all that God was creating. And because as these people still moved further from God and closer to these cities, the Israelites' worlds became smaller and smaller and smaller just fragments of the world that god had visioned and as they served something other than god their results were destructive pain crept in to the israelites so much pain that they cried out for god and god frees him from that pain, and yet the Israelites see, yes, again, the large capacity of this world that God had created. All is good again. Until the Israelites slowly, slowly move away from God. In that world, the big invasive capacity world that God has envisioned became smaller for the Israelites. Pain creeps in, cries out to God once again. The God opens up the world again for them to a large world. It's a cycle of Judges. In Judges, the book of Judges, the cycle just keeps happening over and over and over and over again. Throughout the entire book. But it's not only the story of Judges. That's the story of the entire Bible. It's there, right at the very beginning of Genesis. The Garden of Eden, the Fall, Paradise. It's all four Gospels. Life, crucifixion, resurrection. Richard war calls it order, disorder, reorder. Walter Brueggemann calls it orientation, disorientation, new orientation. The language now today calls it construction, deconstruction, reconstruction. Whatever you call it. It's a story that took place over again in the Judges. That's the story of the Bible, and whether you want to admit it or not, that's the story of our lives. So the question remains for you and me this morning, when the diagnosis is dire, when the divisions are heartbreaking, when there is no end to the mundane routine. And it seems like everywhere we turn, God's world, that world that God says is world of capacity, is nothing but outdated, tired, patriarchal, limiting rules. So how do we on this hot, lull August Sunday, in between the promises of Easter, the hopes of Christmas, how do we? how, How do we live beyond the smaller world that this world so readily offers? Which leads us into to chapter 4. Chapter 4 begins with yet another Groundhog Day cycle we just talked about. At the beginning of chapter 4 we find all the Israelites yet again worshiping and serving something other than God moving beyond the capacity of God's world into the small fragments of the cities around them. And to deliver the Israelites for freedom to live into God's capacity. God calls a judge. He does this each time they cry for pain, he calls a judge. That's why it's called the book of Judges. The judge he calls this time is Deborah. Now, that may be surprising for some, not for the Israelites. Surprising for some of us here today in the 21st century. But keep in mind, God established a radical nation. A nation that was open and a nation that was free, where in all accounts it appears that women and men were working right beside one another. To call Deborah up to deliver the Israelite might be surprising for us, a woman, but it wasn't surprising or radical, not to the Israelites living at the time. In fact, throughout all of Judges there are 20 two individuals or groups of women mentioned. One of the most powerful when it comes to titles of not only women, but men as well, was this lady named Deborah. Scripture gives Deborah three titles. Wife, prophet, judge, we'll get to wife in a little bit. Judges are not necessarily people in long black robes that we think about. Judges are the people who are called to help deliver Israel from all their cries of pain, but it appears in verse 5, it suggests that Deborah is actually acting as both one to deliver from the cries, but also one who has legal authority. She was a deliverer and someone who functions in a legal role. It's the only judge in all of Judges to do both. Ellen her leadership among the Israelites just even further. But not only is she acting as a legal judge and deliverer, Scripture calls her a prophet, too. It's the highest of all the leaderships. In fact, the reading closely appears that Deborah delivers Israel by speaking the word of God to Barak. Deborah ask Deborah please Deborah come with me she's not only speaking the word of God yet suggesting Deborah embodies God's presence as well now I know we're not going to solve all of the gender fighting going around in our country in a 15-minute sermon But I wonder, I wonder if our ideology hasn't moved us into idolizing our own positions. And in doing so, we are ignoring the cries of our women and the daughters of this land. Because it appears here in Judges 4, that when God set up this radical nation, Leadership roles of men and women were not as defined as we had would like to believe that they were. Not only that, but when God came to us through Jesus Christ, Jesus lifted up woman after woman after woman. The first person to go beyond the Jewish borders and talk about Jesus Christ was a woman the Samaritan woman at the well. The first person to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ was Mary. There are two people, only two people who openly proclaimed that Jesus Christ, only two people who followed Jesus who openly proclaimed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. One was a male. The other was a female. Now preacher, the preacher, are you suggesting to us That there is no difference between gender? Not at all. I'm not suggesting that Scripture does not separate male and female and that there are no differences between the two. But nor am I suggesting that within males and females, there's not maybe a spectrum and we all fall somewhere in that spectrum. This is what I'm suggesting. What Scripture yearns us to live into is God's capacity. Rather than the small, fragment stories of all the cities around us, please do not live into a smaller world than the world that God had envisioned. Throughout all of history, we do that from time to time. We live into the small fragments of this world. Maybe you recall uh, the story of Florence Nightingale, this English social reformer and founder of modern-day nursing, and how she was given the nickname, the Lady with a Lamp. But did you know, at her hospital, she was actually known as the Lady with a Hammer? She got that nickname after taking a hammer to a locked supply cabinet when a a general was standing in front of it and would not let her get into it because she was a woman in order to help her patients out. The United States newspaper editors got wind of the story. Now, they thought that they may be offensive, that they may offend the sensibility of the readers, therefore they changed it to a more suitable name, you know, for women. Sometimes interpreters of Scripture do that too. We learned that this week in the adult vacation Bible school class. And, and Deborah may be another example of that. As I mentioned earlier, Deborah is given three titles Judge, Prophet, Wife. Scripture says that she was the wife of Lapidoth. Lapidoth means light. Interesting enough, Lapidoth is never mentioned ever again throughout all Judges. Lapidoth is never mentioned again throughout any of Scripture. And Dr. Nancy Lee, our teacher this past week, and other Old Testament scholars suggest Deborah was not the wife of Lapidoth. That Lapidoth was not a person. But instead, a better translation is that Deborah is the woman of life a woman of flames. We could even call her torch woman. Now being this woman of flames, I think this is why Barak asked Deborah to go with him to deliver the Israelites from the hands of the king Jabin in verse 8. If you go with me, Barak says, I will go. But if, if you will not go with me, I will not go. To live in a small, fragment world, Suggest we have to do it alone, that we have to pick ourselves up by those bootstraps, or we can't ask for help. But God's capacity always brings us into community. You shining the light for me at times, and me shining the light for you at other times. I don't know if you know this, but we're reading this book called Tattoos of the Heart. <laughs> I'm joking when I say that. But in Tattoos of the Heart, this summer book club we're reading, um, Father Bull introduces us to a guy named Pedro. Caught in the gang life of the streets of L.A., Pedro was filled with rage and resentment. That he covered up with his addictions and crack cocaine. Whenever uh, Father Bull would offer to take Pedro to rehab, he would decline until one day Pedro changed his answer and began his long, hard journey of returning home. 30 days into Pedro's uh, rehab, Pedro's younger brother, caught up in the similar dark valleys, took his own life. When Father Bull called Pedro with the news, Pedro was devastated. Father Bull later was driving Pedro to the funeral. When Pedro began to tell Bull about a dream that he had the night before. In the dream, Pedro and Father Bull are in this large, empty room alone. There are no lights. There's no windows. It's completely, totally dark. In the dark silence, Father Bull takes a flashlight out of his pocket and he turns it on. Slowly, deliberately, deliberately, he shines that flashlight all around the room until his narrow beam illuminates the light switch on the wall. No words are spoken, no explanation offered, just a beam of light revealing the switch on the wall. In the dream, Pedro stands up slowly. With some trepidation, he makes his way to the, to the switch. He, he takes a deep breath and he flips it off. The room is flooded with light. At this point, we tell him this dream, Pedro is sobbing. With the, the voice of astonishing discovery, he said, and the light, the light is better than the darkness. As if he never knew this before. Then he said, I guess my brother just never found the switch. Possessing flashlights. Occasionally knowing where to aim them, it has to be enough. It has to be enough for me and you. It's enough because we're not the saviors. No matter our title, no matter our gender, none of us are the saviors. Notice at the end of our reading, Deborah tells Barack that God has already gone ahead of them, preparing Israel to see this world that God had a vision to already. God has already worked preparing this, us to see this big, large world that God has for us. Perhaps that's just it. Perhaps it's no more than that. On this hot, Lowell Sunday in August. Maybe all we need to do is just keep shining the light. Shining it for that woman who used cardboard for her blanket last night. Shining it for that young man who woke up with tracks on his arms. With a firefighter and Canada, that soldier in Ukraine or that mother in West Africa. Maybe we just keep shining it for our daughters and our sisters and our mothers and our grandmothers, and our aunts, and the woman next door. If those eight women who organized this church, maybe we just keep shining for that little girl in Afghan who keeps saying she can't go to school. Better yet, maybe we let them shine it for us. And for you and for me. When I am living in the small fragments of the world, the baptismal vows you made to me means that you will keep shining the light. And when you see nothing but the small fragments of this world, our baptismal vows to you is that we'll keep shining the light Not just anywhere, but on that light switch where God is already ahead of us, ready to flick it on for all of us to experience the inexhaustible capacity that God has always intended.